guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of 2 Peter. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 1 as we were opening up Peter's second epistle and his primary idea. Uh, first of all, we understand that the theme of 2 Peter is dealing with a warning against false teachers who will come amongst the Christian community. And so, as we understand that Peter was writing these letter, this particular letter, to the similar audience that he wrote in first Peter, that is to those Jews that were scattered abroad. And we understand that this letter has an application to all Christians. Okay. All Christians, but nevertheless, so as he's writing to them, uh, in chapter one, he's basically talking about having a true knowledge of God. And that's what we kind of left off at with that understanding. Who is it who has a true knowledge? and understanding of God. And Peter uh, lets us see that in saying that those who have a true knowledge of God are those who live a life of holiness, life of holiness, life of obedience. Those who are living in such a way that they can welcome the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes because they have lived in every way that they could in a manner that pleases the Lord Jesus in all godliness, holiness, morality, love of the brethren, and et cetera, et cetera. Those things that he talked about in chapter one, they have the true knowledge over against what, he was, what he's been dealing with here is the false teachers. And this is what we're about to get into actually now. That is the false teachers will try to present themselves as one who have some uh, great knowledge, a knowledge that they could uh, give and share with others but their lives will be devoid of this godliness of holy living. And thus their, their claim to knowledge is one of falsity. It's not real whatsoever because if a person has a true knowledge, true saving knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would be evidenced in how they live. And so what he does in chapter one, he lays that foundation for them. And he also praises them in this manner and encourages them to live this way. Remember when he says, even adding on, be diligent to add even in your faith. I mean, live with all that you got. All right. So that's what he basically dealt with in chapter one in teaching them what true knowledge is. True knowledge is evidence in how a person lives. But his whole idea of the letter, the purpose of the letter, his theme, is to deal with false teachers who will come up, all right? Who are, who are going to come into the congregation in later times. And so here's where we're about to get into this particular issue in chapter two, the essence of Peter's letter. Uh, dealing with false teachers. Now you have to remember when Peter left off in chapter one, he talked about, and it's a beautiful way that it, it moves right into the next section of false teachers. He talked about uh, scripture and that is that scripture did not come because of the will of a man or by any intent or desire of a man, but the spirit came because of God. It was God who gave the scripture through men and he gave this scripture through men as the men served as prophets and that's the idea so with that idea that holy men of God or men were carried as they were moved by the Holy Spirit spirit of God this is how prophecy came God spoke 
through them or God spoke through the prophets. And with that idea, Peter just simply gets into uh, chapter two, the essence of his warning as there were true prophets whom God has spoken to. There will also, there were also false prophets amongst the people. And as there were false prophets among the people in that time, there will also be false teachers among you in our time. And that's what we start. So with all of that, let's get into the very essence of Peter's, um, Peter's epistle, chapter two. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Okay. So Peter, he opens it up. Remember what we said? He said, just like there were false prophets, just like there were true prophets, and that's the end of chapter one, true prophets who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, moved by God. There were also false prophets in the days of old. Now, what we're going to see in the second epistle of Peter is this comparison as Peter compares to looking back to and also looking forward to looking back to what happened in a previous time and assessing those things and events and looking forward to what will happen in the future. Uh, and assessing those things based on how God dealt with men in the past. Okay. So he talks about what false prophets, verse number one, false prophets were among the people in the same manner as there would be what false teachers among you. And notice what he said they would do. They would bring in heresies. They would bring in heresies, nothing more than false doctrine and they would secretly introduce these false doctrines. So what Peter is warning them is there would not be an, an overt attack upon true doctrine, but there's going to always be this seepage and the, the, the seepage, I'm sorry, seepage into the body of Christ teachings that do not belong. And Peter calls these things heretical teachings, heretical teachings, especially as it relates to what notice he says, even denying the master who bought them. Now that's important too. That is okay. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to make the video too long guys, but I don't know how, if we'll be able to finish this. I want to cover this material in a decent manner so that you can get a good understanding. But I also want you to understand that even from just a few of these verses, you can do a great, uh, great expansive teaching within itself. So it's kind of a struggle to find that midpoint for me. So just let me go. I just want to make it clear to you what Peter is saying, but this is not the end of it. Much more can be said about these particular verses. So what does he say? He says what that the false teachers will come and one, and one of the trademark their, their their introductions introductions of heresies false teachings false doctrine will not be overt but they will be covert they will bring them in secretly 
even namely one of the false doctrines of understanding the person of Christ. That's what he means when he says denying the master who bought them and the result would be swift destruction. But let me go back what he's talking about uh, heresies concerning Christ denying the master who bought them. One trademark uh, 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 theme concerning false teachers is understanding the person and nature of Christ. That is, Jesus is both what God as well as Savior. Now notice how Peter, it's a wonderful thing how he did that. There is a distinction in first Peter and how Peter opens up the letter and second Peter, how Peter opens up the letter. Remember in second Peter, we just dealt with that not too many videos ago. When Peter opened up the letter, his reference to Jesus was God and Savior, our God and Savior. And also remember we talked about too, about having a like precious faith, a faith like theirs. That is a faith that is given by the righteousness of Jesus. We are saved by faith in the person and work of Jesus. That is Jesus. That's why he called Jesus. What at the very beginning, our God referencing his deity and savior referencing his humanity as God. He has the power to save as savior, a human being. He has the power to offer up a blood sacrifice. That is, he can offer up his body for sin. And notice without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission of sin. What did Jesus say? Uh, uh, I'm sorry. What did John say that John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus? Behold the lamb of God, the sacrificial animal of God. And what does he do? He takes away the sin of the world. So there are two concepts concerning Jesus that are fundamental in understanding and being saved. That is, you must know and believe that Jesus is God. You also must know a hundred percent God and also must know and believe that he is man. And as a man, he died for your sins, resurrected from the dead. But what Peter is talking about here is certain realities concerning the doctrines of Christ. This is called Christology. Certain realities concerning that false teachers are going to mess that up in some kind of way. They are not going to teach Christ in the proper way. Now, even now I'm, I'm fighting this urge. Uh, there's this guy, um, you can watch him on the internet. I think his name is Justin Peters. And he's done a series, uh, a number of many videos dealing with false teachers today, okay? And he really comes a lot out of Second Peter in, in the very theme of what he's talking about. And he talks about all of the things that uh, 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 false teachers even today talk about. Say for instance, calling themselves little gods. And you'll see the little god theology talked about, talked, taught by Creflo Dollar, uh, Benny Hinn, uh, uh, this other guy, Kenneth Copeland, uh, 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 um, Jesse Duplantis, and especially people in the word of faith, uh, denomination or religion or whatever they call themselves. But the point is they have a, a skewed understanding of who Christ is and who God is. And even to the point in where they kind of ventured themselves off into being little gods. But nevertheless, 
what Peter is opening up talking about the false prophets that existed in times past. You will also, even amongst Christian today, have false teachers existing amongst us as well. And one of the primary things we'll see them doing is they will misinterpret, misunderstand, misteach, and they just concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ, they will mess that up. And he says, ultimately what will happen, such false teachers will bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, when he says swift destruction, it doesn't mean that the destruction comes immediately when they say it. It just simply means once the destruction does come, it will be swift and overwhelming. And that's the idea that he's talking about. But in verse number two, what does it say concerning the false teachers that will come? Many will follow their sensuality. Now that word for sensuality is a unique word. It is the word asalgeias. And you're going to see this word, uh, Peter's going to repeat the usage of this word in this chapter. And what it basically deals with is lustfulness or fleshly desires or sensual desires, or in other words, things and desire. And, and whenever you see this word, uh, the lust and sarcos is the Greek word that is used concerning the flesh. Sarcos is the flesh. It means that which comes from sinful flesh. And here the notation is in, is kind of like in general, the uh, alsageos is in general, what this lustfulness, this sensualness, but it also has an element of sexual immorality. And Peter's going to bring that part out as well. But the bottom line is all of this comes out of the desires of the flesh. Now, what you have to remember is this, when Jesus, when God saves an individual by his Holy spirit, remember, we talked about this earlier. There are two natures which are imparted to an individual. That is that divine nature. And remember, it was Peter who talked about how God has given us the divine nature, his own nature that enables us to live a life of godliness. So we have the divine nature that is given to us by virtue of a spiritual new birth. What did Peter say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. So you have been spiritually born. And then what does Paul himself say? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. So therefore we have a new nature, but at the same time, we still, because Christ has not come to redeem our bodies and give us first Corinthians chapter 15, a new body where no sin dwells anymore, but we still have this body of flesh. And it is this body of flesh that is always Paul in Romans chapter seven, that is at war against our spiritual man. But anyway, but the point is this, many will follow their sensuality. This word is used often that that is for the sins and desires of the flesh in general. And it even has certain specificities to which Peter will talk about. So people, and here's the point, listening to these false teachers who are driven by their fleshly desires 
will begin to listen to these false teachers. They are not, that is the false teachers, are not teaching in a manner that they should. That is in a manner to glorify God, to speak of that. Listen, what is it? What did we say? You have been bought with a price and therefore you, and you are not your own. We are now therefore required to do what? Glorify God in our bodies. We don't belong to ourselves. Even Paul, what is it? Romans chapter 12. Now you offer up your life service as a living sacrifice unto God. Your bodies will be a living in all that you have and all that you do as a sacrifice to God. So therefore we are no longer to live according to the dictates of our sinful flesh, but in accordance to the will of God. But what is the problem here? These false teachers are offering in their so-called teachings about Christ and God and salvation wrong, but they're offering it from a perspective of the sinful flesh. What do you mean? That is you trying to get what you want. You trying to live in a way that pleases you, that satisfies you and not in accordance to the will of God. If anything that Jesus taught about being his disciples, it is that you must be willing to take up your cross and die. You have to die to self, die to your will, die to your sinful nature. But these false teachers are teaching you that you can indulge your sinful nature and in some manner or another still be all right with God. And what happens when you tell people that, that you could get what you want and use God, or as the Joel, Joel, uh, Joel Osteen says in his foolish book, live your best life now. That's ridiculous. That's against the whole letter, the introduction of first Peter. Peter is saying, we're not living our best life now. We are willing to suffer so that when Jesus does appear, we can live our best life then, but until now, first Peter, we suffer. We suffer even to do right, to live right. We suffer. Okay, let me go on. But many follows their sensuality and what he says, because of them, the way of the truth is maligned because of these false teachers, the way of the truth, the way that is concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the truth. What did Jesus say concerning himself? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. False teachers do what? They malign that. They misconstrue both the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I have even heard some of them say, and I'm not going to call Joel Osteen's name, that I'm not, when he said, I'm not going to judge whether or not Christ is the only way, because the world and sinners are offended at our, the Christians, exclusive claim to Jesus. We say that there is no other way unto salvation. There is no other way into the presence of God other than by faith in the works of Jesus. And I, I that's why I was listening to him say I, I, one of those stupid interviews that he was doing to the point that he's not going to be so arrogant to say no. We will be not arrogant to say, but confident to say 
that Christ is the only way you cannot have another religion and just be faithful and good in that religion and see God in peace. If you don't know, if you do not believe in Jesus, the only begotten son of the father, you are condemned to eternal damnation. Even what did Jesus say? For he who does not believe is what? Believing on the person of Jesus is condemned already. But the point is, okay, let me go on because I think I'm doing more preaching than teaching. But this is very practical that is coming from Peter. He's not just trying to give us a bunch of theological doctrines here. He's trying to give us practical warnings. Be aware of these false teachers. What will they do? What will they look like? What will they teach? What will they teach? And what will be the end result? of their works. But anyway, so many, that is, many follow their sensuality. It kind of takes your mind back to the apostle Paul. When Paul told Timothy in second Timothy chapter four, what preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Why, why preach the word at all times for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And I like the, I like the very sound of that when they, and that the, they, he ain't talking about the world. The world does not care for Christian doctrine. The world does not care for sound doctrine. He is talking about the Christian so-called Christian community. The time will come. No, they will not what endure. And, and the idea of endure that is to put up is something that they find so hard to bear, something that they find so hard to live by, to believe. What is it that's causing you so much uh, 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 trouble in your spirit? Paul says, sound doctrine. That's what they have a problem with, sound doctrine. He said, because they have a problem with sound doctrine, what will they do? They will search and find teachers telling them things that they want to hear, scratching their itching ears. And what would be the result? They will turn away their ears and their minds from the truth of sound doctrine and be turned by these false teachers to make believe. And here Peter is basically on the same road that Paul is traveling about false teachers who will arrive and the damage that they will do and the number of people that they, that they will persuade to follow them. Why? Because they're no longer going after scripture, but they are following after their own sinful lusts, sensual desires, right? And what happens to the truth? The way of the truth is maligned. In other words, when you speak the word of the doctrines of scripture, this is how God wants us to live. This is what God wants us to do as it is written. They actually begin, they actually begin to attack the truth itself. So what happens? The truth suffers when the lies flourish and the lies are flourishing because of these false teachers. And why are so many people flocking to hear them? 
because they can continue in their sins. And that's the bottom line. They can believe what they want to believe. They can continue to live how they want to live and still no matter what, what did it say? Even now, God will bless you. You are all right with God and know what, know about teaching what is proper, living a way that is acceptable in the sight of God. And that was chapter one. Okay. All right. And let me continue on verse number three. But once again, uh, I, I know I'm not going to finish our chapter two in one video. So let's just go as far as we can go. But the whole point, go back what he was saying in chapter one in second Peter. True knowledge. Remember, the whole idea of a teacher is one who presumably is supposed to possess knowledge. But guess what Peter is beginning to say here? Notice in there, these false teachers that will come up amongst you in their so-called knowledge is laden with sensuality, is laden with living according with fleshly desires. Compare and contrast that over against what Peter was saying in chapter one. Remember the word that we, Peter used? Epignosis, true knowledge. True knowledge of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ evidenced in godly living. True knowledge is evidenced in right doctrine. If it is, if you have the absence of godly living, you don't possess true knowledge. But now let's go back to verse number three so we can finish at least this particular section. Again, concerning the false teachers, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And now here we have the primary motivation for these false teachers. Here is the problem. Here is the issue with all of the jets that they buy and all of the super, super sized homes that they live in. It's ridiculous the size. And uh, what is Kenneth Copeland? I don't know how many jets he's supposed to have. I think he has a hangar literally in his own home or something like at his home or something to that degree. But the prob problem is what? They are motivated not by pleasing Christ. They are not motivated by the helping of the individual. They are motivating by the lining of their own pockets. They will exploit you because of greed. And how do they exploit you? With words that are not true. False words. That is false doctrine. And then he talks about, he said, and their judgment is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And I like that part too. And here's where he says this. And even though they continue to do what they're doing, they continue in their lies, in their false doctrine, in their sensuality, in their indulging of the flesh, do not become disturbed. It's not for God's people, God's true people to be disturbed. Why? Their judgment is not idle. You can rest assured. And this is what Peter's going to talk about in the continuing portions here. You can rest assured that as certain as they continue to do these things, the false teachers that they do, God is not sitting idly in heaven. Do not think that they are going to get away with it. Bet your last dollar. God is going to bring judgment upon them. And when the judgment comes, as we just said earlier, the judgment will be swift and concise upon these false teachers. Okay. All right. So let's continue. 
we can get a little bit further on. So now let's get into, or as Peter himself is going to get into the particular judgment of these false teachers. That is the assuredness they will get what's coming to them. For if God, verse number four, did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, let me just stop there. Okay. What is Peter now doing? Peter is, and we talked about this earlier, he is looking back on the actions of God and also how Peter, how people were at that time. And he is projecting that into the present and future case. That is, look how God, look how the people were and look how, per se, uh, the, the wicked were here, the wicked, the wicked, because we're going to talk about a prophet because Peter is talking about false prophets. OK, he's going to get more so into that in the next example. But looking at the past world, the people in their evil and wickedness and looking at God and how God dealt with that. Also, too, there were righteous ones amongst them the wicked people in that time. And that and there would be righteous people in the future when such similar things will happen. So Peter's going to look at a couple of examples and these will be holistic examples. That is a whole example. The first of the whole is looking at the destruction of the world during the time of Noah. So that's what he's doing right now. So that's why, and that's the reason why I stopped right there. He says, all right, let's take for example, how does God deal with ungodliness? Okay. Even the ungodliness that is propelled by these teachers, by false teachers, by evil and wicked people. He said, let me take you back to the days of Noah, the times of Noah. And this is how you need to understand that. And what happened in the times of Noah? He says, what? There were angels that sinned and were cast into hell because of their sin. Now that word that is used for hell is Tartaros, Tartaros. All right. So I talked, I, matter of fact, I made a particular video about that, something about the, uh, 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 the four compartments of hell or something to that nature. I'll see if I could find it and, and throw a link in to this video where you guys can kind of watch that. But what he is referencing is this. And we'll see this in Genesis chapter six, when it calls them the sons of God. These, this is the reference to the angels that sinned in the days of Noah. And this is what Peter is talking about here. As he brings in this singular example, the examples of judgment that occurred in the days of Noah, who were the wicked ones? There were the people. He said also too. Peter opens it up. There were the angels who sinned. And these were the angels who, who married and had sexual relations with human women and created uh, 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 the Nephilim. This is in the King James version, it says the giants. I don't think the people were actually giants as far as the height is concerned. I think the idea comes from the Greek uh, persona of mighty men, men who were able to do spectacular things to the which we get the, uh, the fables and stuff like Hercules and stuff like that. All right. But anyway, 
these angels sinned and because of their sins of, and notice the sin of the angels is immorality, which takes us back to that word sensuality. Remember we were talking about that word, uh, uh, what's that word again? Because I often mispronounce it. Uh, asogias, asogias, okay? Dealing with what? Lust, uh, uh, desire of the flesh, and also speaks of sexual desire. And so we can see that also being born here too with the angels. Now we're not gonna get into all of the motives of the angels. We're talking about second Peter. Okay, but the point is they had sexual relations with human women and in the judgment of God upon them, he put them into Tartarus here translated hell reserved in pits of darkness until the day of judgment. And okay, let, let me just simply speak on that. These particular angels because of that sin were judged and placed in chains and reserved until the judgment day. They have never been released from that day and they never will be released until the judgment day. This is different than the abyss. And I don't want to get into all of that because I talked about all of that in that previous video that I talked about hell, the compartments of Sheol. But this is different from when angels, let's say for instance, when, an, when a demon, a demon is nothing more than a fallen angel. When a demon has inhabited an individual, has come into a person and the demon is cast out of the person and the demon can be cast into the abyss. The abyss is the place where the demon goes temporarily and at some point in time will be released once again. There is a difference in what Peter is talking about here. Tartarus is the place where angels who committed the sexual sin in the days of Noah are placed there permanently until the day of judgment, okay? But the point of what Peter is simply trying to say here is this. God responds in judgment. That is, God is not letting anybody get away with anything. Let me give you an example that you can be assured that God will judge. I'll take you all the way back to the days of Noah. And there were angels who, angels who even sinned. And what did God do? He judged them, judged them by placing them into a dark place in a compartment of Sheol until the judgment day. And then he continues on and say what? He did not spare the ancient world, that is the judgment that he speaks of, except what? He preserved Noah a preacher of righteousness. Now Peter allows us to see when God gave that uh, time of 120 years in Genesis chapter six, when God says, I hate that I made man yet his days shall be 120 years. That reprieve of time that God was giving 120 years before he brought on the destruction of the world, that is the great flood, what was Noah doing during those 120 years? He was preaching. Notice it calls Noah what? A preacher of righteousness. That so it lets us know that the world itself was totally enveloped in all manner of evil and Noah himself was going about preaching righteousness 
of God. And notice there's also that mindset of the comparison that Peter is trying to give about the false teachers. They ain't preaching this righteousness. They are a part of that wicked generation that will be judged. And his whole point here in these examples is, and you can be guaranteed that God will judge. He ain't just sitting in heaven idly watching things like an old grandpa in a rocking chair, barely awake, who has no idea of what's going on in the earth. And he's gonna talk about that in chapter three, even though God does not immediately judge, he will bring judge. He is simply patient, but that's chapter three. So we won't get into that right now, but let's continue on what he's talking about with Noah. Noah was this preacher of righteousness and he himself was saved from the judgment of the flood with his family, the seven others, when the flood came upon a world of ungodly. So the first example that he brings, as he opens it up, the point is this, and all of this comes from verse number three, their judgment is uh, long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. He makes examples from what we read in the old Testament to give a surety that one day God will judge the ungodly and namely what the ungodly false teachers and also those who follow them. What did he say? Many will follow their sensuality. So God will bring judgment on the ungodly. So example number one was Noah in the days of Noah. Example number two will be surrounding Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse number six. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction, by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Okay, so now example number two, Sodom and Gomorrah, the issue of the destruction of those cities and, and wicked men and the salvation of Lot. So notice we see a couple in these two examples of parallelism. What? The destruction of the wicked in the days of Noah, even the angels and all of those wicked men and the preservation of righteous Noah. Now in this second example, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of the plain with those wicked people, but what the salvation of Lot and his, and his family or, or really be couldn't really even see all of Lot's family. Only somebody really escaped was Lot and his two daughters and his two daughters were messed up in the head when they came out of there, but we're not going to get into all of that. But let's go into the same. So the exact second example that he talks about is what he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice again, that idea of asogia. Remember that word sensualness, lust and desires of the flesh in both examples we see what we see uh, things that deal with 
sexual immorality. We see in the first example, the sexual immorality of the angels. And you can guarantee there was great sexual immorality amongst the people. Now, in this second uh, example that he gives with Sodom and Gomorrah, we again see what? Sexual immorality. And this sexual immorality of, is of a really debased source because it is a sexual immorality of homosexuality. And notice what he just said about that. Oh, now watch it. He condemned them. He destroyed them. What was the, the efficacy of God's destructive power? He reduced the cities to ashes. He didn't a little bit destroy them. He completely destroyed them. Now let's go back to Noah. God did not a little bit destroy the world. He completely destroyed the world. The judgment of God will be complete and all consuming on the ungodly in time, in God's time. But anyway, back to the text. What did God do? Remember the sin of Sodom, as you sometimes hear people trying to make a case for homosexuality, trying to say that nothing is wrong with homosexuality, that Jesus did not speak of homosexuality, that it was only spoken of against the law or that homosexuality was spoken of with male prostitutes or in idolatrous temples, all of this type of foolishness. Wrong. God rejects homosexuality. There is no such thing as a homosexual that a practicing homosexual that is acceptable in the sight of God. What did Paul say in first Corinthians? Let no man deceive you. People who practice, who do such things and homosexuality was listed amongst those sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what is Paul? I'm sorry, Peter saying here concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. And we already know when we look in the book of Genesis concerning the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, how those men of the cities wanted to have sexual relations with those angels who had came down to Lot homosexuality. And what does he say? Notice he made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. What? When you see Sodom and Gomorrah, God is saying, let that be an example to you. I don't like that. Homosexuality is not liked by God. It's not a, I don't care if you have some lifelong partner. I don't want to hear that. If God had designed for that, he would have created it that way. But he made one man, Adam, and one female, Eve. Male and female. Anything to the contrary part, as is taught in the book of Leviticus 18, as well as Leviticus 20, is an abomination before God. This brings the judgment. And what did he say here? Peter is saying here, God burned those cities down to the ground so that they can be an example to everybody in the future. Learn something, God is saying. Don't do that for your judgment is assured, surely if you do these things, you will be judged by God. You will not see the kingdom of God and heaven, you will never enter 
but hell will be your home and the lake of fire will be your home for all eternity. But anyway, the point that Peter is making once again is the assuredness of judgment. But now let's go on to the second part of that. That is Lot and how, verse number seven, if he rescued Lot and tell me about Lot and notice it, he was oppressed by the sensual, notice that word again, asogia, that is, and notice the context of everything, sexual immorality. So the broadness of that word is now being taken in what? A specificity, especially as it relates to Sodom and Gomorrah, sexual immorality, even as it related to the angels, Genesis chapter six, the sons of God who came into the daughters of men, once again, sexual immorality. So what is the point? False teachers, and let me say this as an aside, false teachers, and even as we have it in the church, when we see this now, we even have now, what is the Metropolitan Church? Uh, we have it even uh, with, with different denominations. We see this now being acceptable in the church. The practice of sexual immorality, the, whether that sexual immorality comes in the form of fornication, that is having a sexual relationship with a person that you are not married to. That is heterosexual, heterosexual uh, relation with a person you are not married to or a homosexual relation. I don't care if the law says that homosexuals can get married. It doesn't matter. God says this is not the case. But the point is, we see this being acceptable in the church. We have all kinds of false teachers arising in the church. Now, they didn't come with these types of false doctrine overtly. They didn't just come out right with it, but they allow, they begin to bring it in. Well, what's wrong with this? And I was born this way and Jesus loves me like I am and God loves you like you are and blah, and God made me this way. It slowly came into the church until now it is becoming mainstream. That is, you can be a literal practicing homosexual and say that you are a Christian. I say, and the word of God says, you are not a Christian and you never were a Christian. But anyway, now let's go back. Sexual immorality, we see how this is almost like a cornerstone to what's going on. But the sensual conduct from principle men, he's talking about Lot. But tell me about Lot. Lot, even though Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah did not live in Lot. In the same way, even though we ourselves are living in this ungodly world and I, I'm, I'm sick and tired every time I see a commercial there was a man I can remember when I was coming up and they had the TV first of all you didn't use profane language on TV and there were no sexual scenes on TV you just didn't do that people had their clothes on that is not the case now just about any kind of language you can see on TV, you'll have sexual scenes with a man and a man or a woman and a woman on TV. Even on Sesame Street, they try to promote homosexuality, even in kids program. Even you see the same crap coming with Disney. There was a time when you can allow your children to watch the Disney program because what? They were wholesome. 
but you don't see that no more. Now the Disney is right behind the homosexuality and the transgenderism and all types of genders and this types of foolishness. Even though we are in this world, this world does not have to be in us. And this is what he's talking about. Lot, Lot being surrounded by all of these unprincipled men, all of the sensuality and all of the homosexuality. What did it say about here? Let's go back here. He felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Do you feel that way? Does the world tire you? Does this world aggravate you? Do you just get sick and tired? Man, I'm going to tell you the truth. I get sick and tired. You can't watch, you know, I get tired of the profanity. I get tired of the sexuality. I get, I mean, the sexual, the sexuality is overt. I am really sick and tired of that. You can't go to the freaking Walmart. I go to, you know, I, I can't, sometimes I feel just safe in my house and safe in the company of God and in, in the people of God. When I go to church, you go to Walmart, you look at people, man, the, the, the women dress like prostitutes. You know, people are not even, not even professional anymore. The professional dress code is gone. It is just sad to see what this world has become. And everything is about look at my butt. Everything is about the promotion of sexuality, whether it's heterosexuality, homo, it don't make no difference. But the point of it is, it's all ungodly and it should weigh on your soul and you yourself. If you indeed are a Christian, you should say, I get tired of that. I get sick of that. Every time I turn on my TV, every time I go somewhere, good gracious alive. And this is what Lot experienced. His righteous soul was vexed day after day with the ungodly and unrighteous deeds of the people around him. All I say about that is, what about you? Okay. So we, what do we have? Two examples. We have two examples of judgment. What is Peter's point? Peter's theme point here. Let me see what the time I'm going to get ready to cut it, cut the video off. I'm going to go a little bit more and then I'm going to cut it off. Make this section. Peter's theme is the false teachers who will come. They will secretly bring in heretical doctrines that end up being destructive destructive for them and destructive for the people that follow them in their false teachings. Their false teachings will be laced with sensuality. And in this sensuality, whether it's sexual immorality or the desires of the flesh and however it comes, it's a rejection of godliness. It's a rejection of holiness. It's a rejection of godly living and simply living in a way that pleases the flesh. Many people are going to go with that because they like that. You can have Jesus and don't have to change. You can be saved and don't have to change. You can go to heaven just as you are. You don't have to change. Many people, and Peter said, he said, but let me tell you something. The judgment of these false teachers, as well as those who follow them, you can rest assured it is coming. He said, let me tell you how I know that it's coming. I'm going to back you up to the Old Testament and I'm going to give you a couple of examples of how God saw 
wickedness at his time back then and how God dealt with that. He said, the first example I'll give you is the example of Noah's day. There was the wickedness of the angels and their sexual immorality in marrying women. And also at the same time too, over against it was the righteousness of Noah. And guess what God did? He judged those wicked people. He judged those angels and he judged that generation. But guess what he did for Noah? He delivered him. Now, the second example, he said, I'll take you back to Sodom and Gomorrah and those wicked people of the plain. You remember the occasion when the angels came down and visited Lot? What happened in their homosexual desire for the angels? What did God ultimately do? He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and reduced their cities to ashes. But Lot who was troubled with the way that they lived and all of the ungodliness that he saw every day. How did God respond to Lot, that righteous man, that man who wanted to live right in a degenerate and adulterous generation? How did God respond to Lot, the righteous man? He delivered him. And that's the example that I'll give you that God will judge the ungodly. God will judge these ungodly teachers and God is going to judge their ungodly followers. And let me finish out with verse number uh, 10, especially those who indulge the flesh in his corrupt desires and despise, I'm sorry, verse number nine and 10, back to number nine, I'm sorry, nine and 10. And here's where we're going to stop the video. Then the Lord knows what? how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in his corrupt desires and despise authority. So we're going to stop with that portion of, of verse number 10. So what did he say? He says from these examples, what can we see that the Lord knows how to rescue the righteous rescued the godly out of temptation. He rescued whom? Noah. He rescued Lot. And also what he, God is able to do? Keep the unrighteous unto judgment. And that is Peter is simply saying, okay, I've proved my point. The false teachers, the false prophets that they had, you're going to have false teachers in your day. But the false teachers ain't going to get away with what they do with their, with their teachings and their corrupt, their corrupt teachings and their corrupt way of living as well as the people who follow them. How do I know that they're going to be judged? Because God did this once before. And at the same time, you can rest assured what that as God delivered Noah and God delivered lot, God will also deliver you. You who have, now let's go back to chapter one, epignosis. You who have the true knowledge, the true knowledge that is evidenced in a godly life. Even though you may be persecuted, even though you may be hated for this, and even though, let's look at what Peter just said, you will be maligned by the false teachers. You know, you got a lot of people out there who try to speak against homosexuality. You got a lot of people out there who try to speak against this and speak against that. These so-called are more saved than anybody else saved. But 
They will malign us, but let me tell you something, and they will persecute us. And in the end, they will seek for our extermination. But I ain't gonna get into all of that. <laughs> but what? You can rest assured, as God is able to deliver them to judgment, he is also able to deliver those who love him and live according to his word, deliver them for a life in his presence. Okay, and then he talked about those who indulge the flesh. Notice once again, if everything is always about what? The pleasing of the sinful flesh. And this is why you need to beware of people who tell you about living and being blessed in the now. We have to be willing to suffer. We have to always desire to be obedient to Christ. We don't look for back doors. I'm, I'm, I just went back to first Peter when I said that a uh, back door. Well, I'm not going to do this. Why? Because of this, because of that. No, if God told you to do that, then you do that. Don't you worry about the rest. Why? God is able to judge. He's going to, the, the tough folk, the people who won't obey, God's going to judge them. But you just be certain to do what God told you to do. Why? Peter says judgment must begin in the house of the Lord. But anyway, let me finish this section. So he says to those who indulge the flesh and, and, and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Now we are built upon all of that in our next video. But anyway, I think you guys got a good understanding of what's going on in second Peter. Now that Peter has finally gotten into the very root of why he wrote the letter, that is to warn the people that false teachers will come one day. And what will they do? They'll bring in all types of heretical doctrines, especially doctrines that uh, mess up, that are not in accordance to the Bible. What does the Bible teach about the person and work of Jesus? That Jesus is God who has come in human flesh. And as a human flesh, that Messiah, he died on the cross, shed his blood and rose from the dead. As a matter of fact, before I go, there is even, I have a, 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 a pastor down the road from a church. As a matter of fact, I talked to him. I think I may have even preached at his church. And I'm not going to call his name. I can't call his name because I've forgotten his name. I'm almost glad I did. But the point is, I talked to him. And uh, uh, as I talked to him to understand, he's a, he's a relatively young guy. Uh, a little younger than I am. I'm not that old. Uh, and, and so uh, he was telling me about what he believed. And one of the things that he didn't believe was Jesus was virgin born. And I'm like, hmm, Okay. And Jesus, so that in, inevitably leads to Jesus not being God and, and, and he didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. He kind of believed like these were stories that they made and wrote to help people to kind of continue in the faith, that, that people can believe and people can be, do the things that God would want them to do. So it was kind of like a created thing. And this man pastors a church. And so here is the scripture is indeed fulfilled. What? There will be false teachers who will bring in damnable. That's what King James versions called it. Damnable heresies, heresies that will condemn you to death. Heretical teachings. Why? For if you do not believe, what did Jesus say once again? 
For if you do not believe that I am, and that is Jesus's reference to himself as being God. If you do not believe that Jesus is the great I am, you will die in your sins. They lead many to destruction. But anyway, okay, enough of personal talking. So I think you guys got a good understanding of what second Peter is talking about with those particular false teachers that will come in his day, bringing in secretly false doctrines, leading a lot of people to follow after them. One of the main things, cause they can live their lives the way that they want to live. And especially as it has to do with what the indulgence of the flesh, especially in sexual immorality, but you can rest assured, they will be judged. Why? As God judged the folk in the days of Noah and as God judged the folk in the times in Sodom and Gomorrah. And at the same time as the judgment was brought to the ungodly, you can also be rest assured that God will deliver those who want to live in a way that pleases him. Okay, enough guys, we're gonna stop right there. Let's give us, give us ourselves a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for all of your goodness and your kindness. We understand that there are many, many false teachers out there today and they truly indulge the flesh. They try to tell you that this life, this so-called Christian life is all about what you can get. That's why I can hear the apostle Paul. Can't you hear him say that with such things as you have, be, with, be content for it is certain that you brought nothing into the world and it is certain that you'll take nothing out of the world. Therefore, with all that you have, be content. But there are those who tell us that we can gain and it is God's desire for us to be rich and God's desire for us to prosper. And then we see the church as the church is literally falling in upon itself, being crushed on the weight of sin as it allows everything into the world to infiltrate the church to the point is becoming basically no difference in the appearance of the world and the church. So many false teachers, so many false doctrines, so much sexual immorality, homosexuality being, they're even so-called pastors call themselves homosexual pastors, something that would have been unheard of by the apostle Paul. But Paul himself said, the time will come, they will not endure sound doctrine. Lord, we do pray, as far as the elect is concerned, keep us and protect us from false teachers and false doctrine. And we understand that the way to be protected from false teachers and false doctrine is to stay in, to live in, to be absorbed in by the word of God. It is the word of God that protects us from the filth that is in the world. Okay guys, thanks for joining me with that. If you say that this teaching has been a blessing unto you and God has touched your heart, Will you support this ministry? There is a link in the description that shows how you can support this ministry for ongoing teaching. But anyway, glad you were here. God bless you guys. See you next time.